Thanks for checking out the Vox Church podcast. We are so honored to have you join us, and we hope this message speaks to you in a powerful way. Learn more about Vox Church by visiting us online at voxchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. You guys look so good. I'm telling you, when you're, when you're, when you're on the grass, it doesn't look as good as it looks up here. When I got up here, I was like, wow, look at the family of God. Down there, I was like, oh, we're kind of all like these little pockets. But then you get up here, it's like, wow, this is awesome. It's just so cool. And so Tom, Tom's here. It's so good to see you. Third night in a row. Let's go. I love those that have been uh, with us every single night. How many of you have been with us Friday, Saturday, Sunday at one of the locations? Awesome. All right. All four of us. That's great. Well, you're the real church. The rest of these people, I don't know what they're doing, but... Uh, but it's been awesome. It's been so good. Friday night, we gathered in four different locations indoors, kind of tested out the micro church thing, tried to figure out how we kind of do it all, you know, and, uh, and it worked out really well. So that's good. And then last night was in Hartford and it was cold. Those of us that were in Hartford, it got really cold. And so all of you who attended the 4 p.m., blessed are the wise because I think the 630 is going to be freezing. And so I brought a jacket. It's going to be chilly. But uh, but we bought all these industrial heaters to heat. No, we didn't. I'm just kidding. It's going to be cold. And so you picked the right service. And so uh, so that was freezing, but awesome last night. And I'm telling you, Hartford came out. I mean, that parking lot was just full of people worshiping Jesus in the cold in Jesus name. It was awesome. And uh, and so that was a great night last night. But I have to be honest, this is my fourth message of the weekend because we had the Sunday morning service this morning and we had the last night. We had the Friday night. And so this is actually the message I've been waiting to preach the entire weekend. I've, I've really like I'm serious. I'm really serious. This is the one that's been like, you know, I mean, I, I love preaching God's word. I feel like you could give me any text in the Bible and I'll get excited about it mostly. But this particular text, I don't know what it is. It's just come alive in my heart over these last few days as I've been praying and prepping. And uh, and so it's just been awesome. So I'm really excited to to dive into it today and talk about this topic. And, uh, and I'm excited to see you. You look good. You look good. You know, the devil's trying to beat us up. The world's keeping us inside. But you look good. You still look good. And so uh, I'm thankful to see you. You're healthy. You're smiling mostly. And uh, those of us with masks on right now, I, I'm just believing that you're smiling. We were up in, uh, we were up in, um, in Worcester a couple weeks ago. And by the way, Worcester, for everybody that gives to Vox Church, you have to understand, we are starting a church in Worcester because of your faithfulness. And so people in Worcester, Massachusetts are going to meet Jesus because of your faithfulness. And it maxed out. We are at capacity for the room and the limitations that we had, but uh, which is awesome. I mean, we didn't know what to expect in Worcester, so it was exciting to see that. But there was one faithful person who had their mask on because we were inside, so everybody had masks on, who had their mask on, but on their mask was a big smile. And it was just awesome because it tricked me like five times. I'd be preaching. I'd be like, wow, she's smiling. I'm like, oh, no, that's a mask. But it was just, it was encouraging because she had a smile mask. It was a mask with a, with a, with a permanent smile. And so um, I'm believing God that everybody with a mask on is smiling underneath the mask. And I'm just going to, I'm going to go with that even if I can't see your face. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 is the story I want to read. And, uh, you know, it's one of those stories that, if you've been around church any length of time, you've read the Bible maybe a little bit, you're probably familiar with this story. And I've actually, interestingly enough, I've never preached this story before uh, in my life. And, uh, and it really just kind of 
resonated so deeply for what I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to say to you today. And so I know that when we gather like this, there are all of us coming from different walks of life, different circumstances. Some of us maybe just went through a great loss. Some of us just went through a great miracle. In fact, just saying hi to people today, I was able to just be with someone who had a great loss. And then five minutes later, someone who just saw a great miracle. And so it's just, you know, we're all coming with different circumstances. But one of the most amazing things about God is that he'll take his word and he'll meet us right in the circumstances that we're in. And so here's what I've been believing for today is that what I'm going to share is not just a word for us, it's a word for you, all right? So find somebody around you, look them in the eye and say, it's a word for you. Go ahead and tell them right now, it's a word for you. It's a word for you. See, I ask you to do that because it's an encouragement to your brother. Just when you say it out loud, it makes a difference. It's a word for you. And so I really do believe that it's a word for you. And so I'm going to read it today, a story you may have heard. And then we're going to pick it apart a little bit. Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead. He climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And the people saw this and they began to mutter. And he has gone to be with a guest of the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to your house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I want to talk to you this afternoon on the topic of the power of grace, the power of grace. Would you pray with me? Let's open our hearts to God's Word. God, we thank you for this short little story, this nine verses about a man that we've heard his name a million times, many of us, a man named Zacchaeus. I thank you that we have the privilege to gather here today and that you're among us right now. And that your Holy Spirit really does have something tangible, something supernatural to do today. And so I just want to welcome you to do it. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak in a way that is supernatural, that's beyond the natural. That you would communicate your life to every one of our hearts this afternoon. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. French philosopher John Paul Sartre said this. He said, man is a useless passion. It is meaningless that we live it is meaningless that we die. Aren't you glad you didn't marry that guy, right? Russian philosopher Leo Tolstoy said it like this, the only absolute knowledge attainable by man is that life is meaningless. That's what he said. American philosopher Snoop Dogg said, when I'm no longer rapping, I want to open an ice cream parlor and call myself Scoop Dogg. I don't know why I added that third one. I just read that and thought, boy, that really ministers to me. It made me laugh. I thought that was pretty creative. But I do think that there are many of us that have been wrestling in our own way with a sense of meaninglessness over these last few months and weeks. You know, meaninglessness. You know, I think everybody is searching for purpose. Everybody wants to have something to live for. And, you know, in the midst of the routine, in the midst of the mundane, in the midst of the challenges of just getting up, I do feel like there's an aimlessness I think that before COVID-19, it was much easier to keep ourselves distracted, wasn't it? You were busy. You had places to be and things to do. You had to actually put on 
pants, right, at some point in life. You had to put on a tie or a dress. You had to look presentable at some point. Now you just put a tie on and you're still in your underwear because you're on a Zoom meeting. Some of us still haven't gone back to the office. Some of us, it's still, your routines are not the same. And it's easy for an aimlessness to settle in, you know, like I'm kind of stuck. I can't travel like I want to travel. I can't do all that I want to do. And I think, I think that for many of us, COVID has forced us over these seven months to reflect on some deeper questions. Like, what am I really doing with my life? Why am I doing what I'm doing right now? What am I really doing that matters? What's my plan? What's my future? What am I doing that has purpose? And I'm concerned that for some of us, there's been this creeping suspicion that maybe Sartre, maybe Tolstoy were right. Maybe there is sort of a meaningless hum to life. And so I've been praying for you. I'm serious. I've been praying for you. I was praying for you just today, and my heart was burning. My soul was burning as I was praying for you today to share this word because I believe that before you leave this field, God wants to capture your heart again. He wants you to fall in love again. He wants you to be in awe of his presence and of his nearness again. He wants you to be baffled and wondered at his love for you again. He wants to set that spirit aflame in your heart again. And when you pull out of this parking lot, you'll look at your friend, you'll look at your spouse, and you say, you know, I'm different. I think God did something in my heart. I think my spirit's been stirred by the Holy Ghost. I think something inside of me has been changed by the word of God that's washed over my soul and that sense of meaninglessness, that sense of aimlessness, it's gone because the Holy Spirit and the purpose of God is pulsating in my soul again in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say amen. 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 And so I love this story about Luke chapter 19, this guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a bit of an oddity. He's a bit of a strange bird, you know. He's a strange man, and the text emphasizes his strangeness. And you might be here, and you're a bit of a strange bird. That's okay. If you find yourself oftentimes the awkward one, that's okay, because that's how Zacchaeus was. He was a tax collector. If you're familiar with the kind of cultural uh, you know, area of, of this time, the, the cultural situation, you know that the tax collector was probably the least popular human being in Israel at the time. See, tax collectors were hired by the Roman government who was overseeing and oppressing Israel. And so the job of the tax collector was to functionally sell out his countrymen, to sell out other Israelites by charging them taxes. And the unspoken rule of the tax collector was, listen, collect as much taxes as you want. Rome just wants their piece of the pie, and then you can keep the rest. And so tax collectors were notoriously hated and crooked. They would rob their brothers of money, and no one would do anything about it. And so here's a man, Zacchaeus, who loved money so much that he was willing to literally sell out his own mom, sell out his own dad, sell out his brothers and sisters and neighbors just to get wealthy. I would imagine that a man like that was particularly lonely, because you don't usually make a ton of friends when you're stabbing everybody else in the back. And I don't know your life circumstance right now, but you may find yourself in a place where you just feel really lonely. You feel like you don't have anybody close to you. You feel like nobody really understands you. I think that's how Zacchaeus felt that day when he heard about Jesus. We're also told that he is particularly short. And that's important because he does something that is unprecedented in his cultural situation. First, he runs to see Jesus. Now, 
men in that time wore long flowing gowns. And in order to run, you had to pull it up, hike it up, and then run. To expose your legs and to run as a wealthy man, you should be ashamed of yourself. Nobody did that. It was absolutely culturally unacceptable. So he's a bit of an oddity because he doesn't mind. He's like, I don't care what anybody thinks. He just pulls up his his robe and he starts running. And then he does something even more immature. Only little boys and girls would do this in this time. He climbs up in a tree. And so here's this strange guy climbing up in a tree, running across town to get to go hear Jesus. And it's interesting because we're told that Jesus was passing through, right? He was passing through, so the language of the text would lead us to believe that it's just coincidental. Jesus was passing through Jericho. Uh, You know, Zacchaeus happened to be there. He happened to hear about Jesus, and he decides to run up. And so it seems like it's just a random, arbitrary coincidence. And I think that sometimes in our lives, we assume that things are coincidental. But as I was reading this text, there was one particular phrase that the Holy Spirit highlighted for you today. It says that Jesus is passing by, and then it says he reached the spot, all right? He reached the spot. And that little line just caught my attention again and again as I was praying about it and praying about it. I just thought he reached the spot. He reached the spot. What spot did he reach? Well, in the practical, he reached the spot that Zacchaeus was up in a tree. But in the spiritual, I think God's saying much more that Jesus had an appointment with Zacchaeus, that he knew exactly where Zacchaeus would be, when Zacchaeus would be there, that God had foreordained before time and eternity passed that there would be a moment in Jericho where Jesus would walk by and a little short guy who was wealthy and had ripped people off his whole life would be sitting up in a tree and Jesus had foreordained the entire moment and so God had a map in history and the map had an X on it and Jesus was heading through Jericho with a purpose He knew exactly where he was going and exactly what he was doing. And Jesus reached the spot. I've got good news for you this afternoon. That Jesus has a spot for you called the North Haven Fairgrounds. That he brought you here for a purpose. He brought you here for a reason. It's not just an arbitrary coincidence. God has something to say to you. He's got something to say specifically to your situation, to your circumstance, to your question marks. God's got something to speak to your heart. If you'll just have ears to listen, if you'll just have a willingness to open yourself to the possibility that it's not coincidence that you're here. It's not just, oh, well, my friend asked me and I had nothing better to do and I've been cramped inside all day and it was a beautiful day and so we decided, why not? The Giants already lost. Let's go. You're like, I'm a Patriots fan. I don't care about the Giants. Well, God will speak to you about that too. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He loves us all. You know, maybe the Giants more, but apparently not, you know. Uh, So anyways, and so that's some good news for your heart. That though you may feel aimless, God has a spot. He has a purpose for your life. Hear me today. It's so simple, but I see, it seems that many of us forget it. He has a purpose for your life. If you're breathing, he's not done. Some of you are like, I don't know why God just doesn't take me. Let me answer the question for you on behalf of God. He doesn't take you because he still has a purpose for your life. All right, if you felt aimless, if you felt meaningless, if you've been asking yourself, why doesn't God just take me home? I'm done with this life. I'm so frustrated. I'm so depleted. I'm so depressed. I'm so empty. Friend, hear the word of the Lord. God is not done with you. 
If he were done with you, he would have taken you. Because you're breathing, he has a purpose for your life. And he brought me all the way here to the North David Fairgrounds just for you so that you could hear me say it on behalf of God. He loves you. He's got a purpose for you. He's not done with you. So let your hope take hold of that. He's got a purpose and a plan for your day, for your tomorrow, for your future. In Jesus' name, you've reached the spot. And I love how Zacchaeus is called by name. Did you notice that? How did Jesus know his name? There was no previous interaction. They had never met before, according to Scripture. And yet, as soon as Jesus walks up, he says, Zacchaeus, you got to come with me, right? Now, imagine with me for a moment what it would feel like to have the Son of God call you out of a tree. What would it feel like to hear your name spoken? Hey, Claire. Hey, Mark. Hey, listen right now. You haven't been taking, Susan, why aren't you paying attention? All of a sudden, you hear your name. You go, what? Whoa, he said my, how does he know my name? This is the power, friend, of a personal call. And tragically, I think many Christians have never really experienced a personal call from God. Many Christians, they know the Bible. They've read portions of it. They've got faith. They've, you know, uh, prayed some prayers and sung some songs. But have you ever experienced a supernatural personal call from God where you know in your knower that he's called you? Where you know in your knower that he loves you? I think tragically many of us never experience that personal call because we just don't respond as he calls our name. I believe that even right now, the Spirit of God is moving across this fairgrounds and he's calling out to you if your heart would just be open to hear it because that personal call changes everything. See, when you have a personal call, you don't worship because you have to. When you have a personal call, you don't give because you have to. When you have a personal call, you don't serve because you have to. You serve because you love him. It changes the dynamic of the heart when you know that God doesn't just love the world. He loves you, Abba. He loves you. He loves you specifically. He loves you purposefully, Justin. He loves you intentionally. When you have a personal call, it changes everything about your life. Friend, I've been praying for you that before you leave this fairground today, that you would get that inner sense that God isn't just calling the world. He's calling Kurt, who's taking video right now. He's calling you specifically to a whole new level of faith, to a whole new level of trust, to a whole new level of experience of his love, and of his truth, a personal call. And I love this. This is maybe the craziest part of the whole story. This is the part that blew me away, that got me so excited to share with you this afternoon, is that Jesus yells out to Zacchaeus, and he says, hey, Zacchaeus, I must come over your house, right? Now, this is so important because in that day, when an individual came and had a meal at your house, it was the universal symbol of acceptance, brotherhood, and friendship, okay? And so Jesus isn't just saying, let's have a meal. He's saying, I want to be your friend. He's saying, I love you and I accept you. He's saying, I receive you. And the crazy part about that is that this man was a notorious sinner. And up until this point, the man had not repented. He hadn't turned from his sin. He hadn't made his wrongs right. And yet in the midst of his sin, Jesus initiates relationship. Look at verse 5 with me. When he reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, everybody say Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, hold on a second. The entire Old Testament convinces us that the God of the Bible is incredibly holy. 
so holy that if you have any sin in his presence, you'll be struck dead. He is righteous, spotless, and blameless. No sin is accepted in God's sight. God is so holy that the people of Israel had all kinds of traditions and practices just to purify their hearts to come before God. And yet, here's Jesus. And we're told, of course, in the scripture that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen God. You've seen the Father. What I do, how I do it, what I say, it represents him perfectly. So try to get your mind around this. Jesus receives this man while he is still in his sinful state. Now, every religion on earth will tell you if you change, God will love you. If you're good, God will welcome you. And yet Jesus in this moment does not avoid sinful Zacchaeus. He pursues, initiates, and embraces sinful Zacchaeus. Does that make you uncomfortable? Just a little bit. Does that make you just slightly uncomfortable? Maybe you're here today and you've believed, come on, look at me today. You've believed that you're too dirty for Jesus. Those things you did, those lies you told, that person you slept with, that thing you did that haunts you, that keeps you, that car accident that was your fault, that person that gave up because of you, Whatever the circumstance or situation might be that plays in the background of your mind, the cloud of shame, the people you hurt, the time you were taken advantage of, and you say, I'm not worthy, I'm too dirty. Listen, he's calling your name right now. He's calling your name right now. He's calling your name right now. Or maybe you find yourself on the other side and you say, oh my goodness, your religion makes you look down on those people, those people that are filthy. I can't sit with those people. I can't talk to those people. I don't associate myself with those people. And yet you have to realize that from your self-righteous point of view, you are in direct opposition to the style and the behavior of Jesus, the Son of God. Because here this man welcomes the sinner. He loves the man who is not yet repentant. And it's crazy because how can he do that? How can he show love to someone who is living in willful sin? How can he, who is perfectly righteous and just, radically love at the same time? And friend, I want to suggest to you this afternoon that this is the greatest mystery. This is the greatest wonder of the scripture. This is the one that confounds the mind. It boggles the intellect. It transcends comprehension. This is the truth that should cause us to stop and pause and wonder because it does not make sense to the natural mind and it does not fit into our categories and boxes. And the scripture has a word to describe this phenomena. It has a word to describe this profound truth and the word given to this truth in scripture is the word grace. It's the word grace. And I think a lot of people don't fully grasp the concept of grace. Grace is not just the capacity to be forgiven. Grace is undeserved, unmerited favor. It is to receive the kindness of God without the merits for that kindness. It is to receive the love of God without the value in your own behavior to be loved. And I want to suggest to you that your heart needs grace more than anything. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 30 years or 30 seconds. Your heart needs grace more than anything. And it is, it is 
the cosmic secret to real relationship with God. Many people here don't have firsthand knowledge of a relationship with God because you've never grasped the concept of grace and your your lack of understanding of grace has kept you from fully entering into divine relationship. See, grace violates our self-righteousness. Grace disrupts our religious mindset. Grace makes our striving irrelevant. And grace makes people talk. It makes them mutter. You notice that in the text they say, oh, they start talking. And they're like, oh, my goodness, he's with Zacchaeus? you got to be kidding me. That's unacceptable. He can't go to dinner with this guy. That's not right. Grace will make you uncomfortable because grace is holy and absolutely unmanageable. You can't manage grace. You can't quantify grace. You can't comprehend grace. You have to radically receive grace. You have to allow it to offend you. Paul called it the stumbling stone in the New Testament. He said it's easy to trip over. It's easy to be tripped up by it because it does mess with our heads. It confuses us. But something amazing happens in this story. Something amazing happens to Zacchaeus by grace. I want to show it to you in verse 8. It says this. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up. Now this is after Jesus loved him and accepted him, received him and blessed him and said, I'm coming to your house. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, which you know he had, I will pay back four times the amount. Four times the amount. Now, the Old Testament, stay with me, gives us a bunch of different rules and regulations about how much a person should give and be generous. But Zacchaeus goes way past all those rules and regulations. See, religion will try to change you by commands. Do this. Don't do that. Do this. Don't do that. But grace goes much further than religion. Grace doesn't change you by commands, although there's power in a command. Grace changes you by encounter. Grace changes you when you taste the reality of an encounter with God's love. Think about it for a second. One encounter with grace in this story changed a money-grubbing liar into a radically generous disciple. Just one encounter with grace. And here's the truth we have to understand. That it's grace that can actually transform your heart and mind. It's grace that can actually change your perspective on a difficult season of life. It's grace that can actually explode inside of you with a hope and a joy that does not make sense in the natural world. The power of grace to change us. I love what Paul says in Titus. Look at it with me. It says, for the grace of God appeared and he offers salvation to all people. If you're part of all people, then this includes you. And so it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. See, grace makes us holy. And while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of God, our great Savior in Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us, check this out, from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people of his very own. Check this out, eager to do what is good. Why are you eager to do what is good? Are you eager to do what is good because you're afraid God's going to hit you with a hammer if you don't? No, you're eager to do what is good because you know that God's already embraced you like a father with his love. Thank you for people who clapped. Friends, this is the power of grace. And as I studied this story, an amazing thought came to mind that I want you to grasp today. An amazing truth came to mind that I hope the Holy Spirit writes on your heart. And it's this, that this story is not just an historical event. It's not just a story about a guy in Jericho who met Jesus. 
This story is also an allegorical depiction of your life. This story, like so many others, points us to how God interacts with you and how God interacts with me. This story is a picture of how God calls you. See, when Jesus met Zacchaeus, he met him in Jericho. You may or may not know, Jericho sits 846 feet below sea level. It is still to this day the lowest city on earth. It is the lowest in terms of where it sits on planet earth of any other city. It's not just the lowest, it's also the oldest city. And if you know your Bible, Jericho in Joshua chapter 6 was cursed. And so Jericho was cursed by God because it was a sinful city. And so here it is, a cursed place, the lowest place, the oldest place. See, the city of Jericho in this story represents sin in your heart and mind. Because your oldest problem, your lowest problem, and your most uh, deeply rooted problem is this problem of sin. And so Jesus enters into the curse for you. He enters into Jericho and he comes after you and he seeks you out. While you were living in Jericho, Jesus came and he found you and he reached the spot where you were. But here's the crazy part. You were all tangled up and you're striving, weren't you? You were climbing trees, trying to be good enough, trying to be tall enough, trying to be big enough, but you were too short. See, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you were too short short to get to God. And so before you could be righteous through your actions, Jesus called you and he called you by name. You know what he called you? He called you Zacchaeus. And you're like, wait a minute. No, he didn't. My name's not Zacchaeus, Justin. My name's Pat. That's not my name. My name's not Zacchaeus. My name's Rich. What are you talking about? My name is not Zacchaeus. That's not my name. Friend, the name Zacchaeus in the Hebrew has a very specific and direct meaning. The name Zacchaeus means The name Zacchaeus means innocent. The name Zacchaeus means pure. And so Jesus entered into sin, into Jericho. He found you in the tree of your own striving. And he said, I need you to come down because I'm going to go up. And on the cross, I'm going to exchange places with you. I'm going to absorb your debt of sin so that I can offer you by sheer grace the gift of my righteousness and therefore call you Zacchaeus, pure, innocent. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Galatians chapter 3, but Christ rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written, check this out, in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. See, this story is not just an historical event. This story is a picture of your story. That Jesus came in search for you when you were in the lowest place, in the place of sin. And before you were righteous, before you even cared, he called your name. And he called you something you never deserved to be called. He called you innocent. He called you pure. Because all along, it was his plan to take you out of the tree and put himself up on it. It was his plan to exchange places with you so that hanging on that tree, Jesus Christ could absorb the debt of your sin. He could wash away the guilt and the shame that chases you around and offer you something so mysterious, something so glorious, that no matter how long you follow him, there are new layers to discover that it should bring you to a place of extreme radical awe as you see it, as you catch a glimmer or a glimpse of this thing called grace, that he loves you more than you deserve, that he cares for you and sees you as you are not, and that he receives you 
even before you turn. And he calls to you right now by name. And he says, I want to come to your house. And I want to stay with you. I wonder, if you're honest, over the course of the last seven months, if somehow without realizing it, you ended up locking the door on Jesus. And it feels like he's distant. It feels like your faith is distant. It feels like your love for him is distant. You know, all that can change tonight. Just by grace. Would you stand up with me tonight? I want to pray for you. Are you here and you feel aimless? I don't know the details of your life. I don't know what you've been going through. Maybe you just lost your job. Somebody here, you just broke up with your boyfriend. And it's been tough. It's been tough. It's an emotional roller coaster. I'm talking to somebody right now. It's been an emotional roller coaster. You just broke up. And it might look like a little thing to people on the outside, but it's a big thing to you. You know God knows every detail of your life. Somebody here, you've had an issue breathing your nostrils, something going on with your nasal passages. God wants to touch you today. He cares. He cares about that. He cares about that. The Holy Spirit is right here. He wants to talk to you. He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to get your attention. So how would you know that? How would you know that about me? I don't know that about you. God knows that about you. He's just trying to get your attention. He's just trying to show you that he cares, that he knows the details, that he hasn't forgotten. And if you had just turned to him, you'd hear him call your name. Have you been feeling aimless? Have you been feeling meaningless? Because if you have, the spirit of Jesus is at the North Haven Fair to inject your heart with purpose and hope. That's what he wants to do. Have you been feeling like an oddity, like you don't fit, entertaining that narrative on the inside that says, oh, I don't belong here. I don't really fit here. Friend Zacchaeus didn't fit, and yet Jesus made time for him and called him close and stayed at his house. Jesus has a particular liking for those who don't fit. And so if you feel like you don't fit, I've got good news. That means you fit just right. That means you fit because he calls you by name. Somebody here, you've been climbing trees of your own striving, striving to keep your business healthy, striving to keep your marriage healthy, striving to keep your life on track, striving to keep your plans in place, climbing trees, climbing trees, climbing trees, and you're exhausted, and Jesus has a word for you today. He just says, come down from there. Come down from there. Stop climbing all those trees. I've already climbed it for you. I've already gone to the tree. I've already hung on the cross. I've already paid your debt, and you need to experience grace. You need to experience my kindness and love that you don't have to earn or deserve. Come down from there because you're too short anyways. You're never going to get there on your own. You need me. You need me. Would you close your eyes? Would you close your eyes and bow your head right now? Because we're going to go into a time of singing, a time of worship. And I just really feel in my heart that the Holy Spirit wants to touch your heart. He wants to touch your life right now. 
if your love's grown cold, if your heart's been distracted, if you've gone through some loss, the Holy Spirit wants to touch your heart right now. With your eyes closed, with your heart open, would you just, would you just receive a fresh wind from the Holy Spirit? Would you receive a refilling of hope? I want to pray for you right now. Holy Spirit, you know every detail. You know every circumstance. You know that person that's had migraine headaches two out of the last three days. You know that person, God. You know their details. And they're here right now because you're calling them by name. God, you know every detail of our hearts and lives. And so, Holy Spirit, I just want to invite you to come. You've got a purpose. You've got a plan. And you've got to blow that stuff out of the way so that we can receive grace today. God, so often we're climbing trees when all we need to do is come down and receive. And so I pray right now that the offensive truth of grace would just be freely and forever received. If there's a sin that you feel like is separating you from God, give it to him right now. Repent of it. Turn from that sin. Open your heart to God and allow him to forgive you. Don't you dare hold God to a standard that he does not hold himself to. If Christ's blood is enough to wash your sins away, don't you think you need to cling to it so that you can earn forgiveness? No, 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 no. Release it to God and believe that his blood is enough. Right now, receive the grace of God. He's washing your heart of shame. He's washing your heart of fear. He's washing your heart of unbelief and doubt. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Just receive. Take the next 30 seconds and just open your heart up to God because I believe he wants to touch your heart. Come, Lord Jesus. Fox Church seeks to reach New England and beyond with the life-transforming message of Jesus. If you have been impacted by this message or the ministry of Vox Church, you can continue to help us reach others by giving today at voxchurch.org forward slash give. For more information on how to get involved, visit us online or on any social media platform at vox.church. We always appreciate you taking the time to rate or review this message on iTunes. Thanks again for listening to the Vox Church podcast.